Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Derek Ma, and I'll be preaching a sermon on 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17 today. Uh, why don't we all close our eyes and bow our heads in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, I pray that you focus us, that you give us your spirit, breathe into us uh, understanding so that we may be able to read and worship your word, Father, which you have given to us for our training and for our uh, blessing, Father. I pray that you continue to work in our lives so that we may be able to love like Christ has loved and so that we may be able to remember what your son has done on the cross. Thank you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. If you guys are not there already, please turn to it in your Bible or look at it from your uh, pamphlet that you've gotten, your bulletin that you've gotten. So this, these verses, you know, I had a little bit of a hard time trying to figure out what I wanted to title it. Was it growing up to become a Christian or uh, becoming a better Christian or training up to become a leader? All those were great titles, but I ended up going with how to become a mature Christian. I know it's a little bit hard to see, but you know, the black on the blue, it's it's a little bit of a lot of dark colors, but I decided on this name because I wanted to emphasize this idea of maturity. And the reason I wanted to emphasize that was because five years ago, when I was first teaching Sunday school, right, eighth grade, I think it was actually middle school Sunday school with Uncle Han and uh, Auntie Sharon, not, not the Sharon, but another Sharon, uh, Gay, Sharon Lee. So um, we were teaching Sunday school together. And I was giving a testimony about how Christ had changed my life, how I used to be this person who was absolutely, uh, I don't know, closed off, selfish, or even hateful or spiteful or easily angered by other people, especially by my family. I had a really bad relationship with my little sister. I was telling the, the sixth graders and seventh graders, I told them, like, I had a really bad relationship with my little sister. Right. Even when I was in high school, I made fun of her, I bullied her, I didn't want to listen to her, I ignored her. There were a lot of things that I had done during that time, which now that I'm older, I regretted. And actually during my senior year, after I became a Christian, I was like, I need to actively work on this relationship. I need to care for her, I need to love her, I need to be a good older brother to her, to be a good example of what a Christian should be, right? to care for her, to listen to her. And one of the students said, is like, he raised his hand, and I remember this, and he said, that's not Christ working in you. That's just maturity. You just became mature. <laughs> and I was like, no, because my example, I was trying to explain to him, my example on how to love others was Christ. Right? Christ was motivating me, pushing me in order to love her more, to be a better brother to her. But you know, this student is like, no, that's just maturity. All people end up coming, becoming this way. Right? That's kind of what he said. And I still remember who said it. I don't, I don't know if they remember. <laughs> they remember. They do remember if they said it. But, you know, that stuck in my craw for a long time. You know, I was thinking about it. It's like, oh, is, is he really right that, you know, it wasn't Christ that changed me, but people naturally just end up loving their sisters or their little sisters or their older brothers or their parents more as they mature. So I began looking into it, and I tried to decide, like, you know, what is maturity? Uh, the next slide, please. And it was a really difficult question to answer, Right. Even neuroscientists, they don't have a, a great answer to what is maturity. A lot of it is sociological. A lot of it is cultural. A lot of the things that we say is maturity has to come from what 
time period we're in and how our peers are like, right? The first one that we might think of, maybe he was thinking about this, is like reproductive maturity, right? You hit certain life stages within your life, like a butterfly. You know, you go from a caterpillar into a chrysalis into a butterfly, right? And that's natural. This happens to all of us, you know, like he was saying. Or maybe it's your mental age, right? As you grow older, more gray matter goes into your brain. You're able to comprehend more things. You're able to understand uh, deeper complexities within human relationships. Maybe that is maturity. Or maybe we talk about emotional intelligence. Maybe we're able to, oh, better perceive uh, how people think of us. Maybe we're before we weren't able to see within their eyes, like, oh, this person, they're kind of annoyed at me. Or this person, they're really enjoying what I'm saying right now, so I should keep going forward. Maybe with the development of emotional intelligence, we become more mature. All of these things, they stem from this naturally generated environmental uh, situation, right? These types of maturity is very different from actually from Christian maturity. And here are the reasons why I think so. Uh, next slide, please. Unlike reproductive, mental, or emotional maturity, Christian maturity is not just natural, but is supernatural. It is shaped by spiritual forces. There are things throughout scripture, like we read before, that affect our maturity. Right? If we're, we go in with the wrong group, they're there to bring us down. Not only that, but scripture says that we have an enemy who waits for us like a lion to, to eat us, to consume us. Right? We have a, the devil, the Satan, <laughs> the devil, the Satan. Satan is out there waiting for us to capture us. Sin is crouching at the door, waiting to consume us. Right? All of these things is different from natural maturity. Right? We like to think that you know, when you know, we see a kid and he's acting out and he's you know, being all sinful, we're like, oh, you know, he's just being a kid. Hopefully he grows up and then he becomes you know, this great person who naturally becomes mature. But, you know, I've seen a lot of kids grow up, and I'm like, you know, it's taking a while. <laughs> you know, when are you going to become more and more mature? Like, I'm waiting for it. But I have to realize, like, for Christian maturity or for, you know, spiritual maturity, that's not exactly how it works. That's not exactly how it works. Right? We need to put a lot of effort into it. And the reason why is because there are so many forces against us. We can't simply just allow things to be, or else we're going to fall into a trap. It's like... I don't know if you ever walked around in the dark, right? It's very difficult not to hit something. What we really need is a light to shine, right? It's not enough to say like, okay, what is, I know what's behind me, right? I know what's behind me in the dark, but you have to say, I need to know where I'm going. I need to know where I'm going. And that's why Christian maturity is different. To become a Christian mature, uh, to become a mature Christian, we need someone to light the way for us, to show us the path on which we need to pursue to show us the path in which we need to pursue. All right, so next slide, please. I'm going to go through uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17. And this is Paul talking about spiritual growth. He's talking to Timothy. He's reminding him how he has become a mature Christian. I've taken this, and I've applied it to us, and I've said that, you know, just as how Timothy worked with Paul to become a mature Christian, I hope that we can see from Timothy's example throughout his life that we can become mature Christians as well. I broke it into three different parts. The first part is a mature Christian takes responsibility, right? And the second part is a mature Christian seeks the truth. The third part is a mature Christian is shaped by the scriptures, right? You take responsibility, you seek the truth, and you are shaped 
by Scripture. All three of these things we're going to be seeing throughout the Scripture. So let us begin. Next slide, please. Right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. While persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So here we see that uh, Tim, uh, Paul is reminding Timothy of everything that he has seen him do. Not only that has he seen him do, uh, like from you know hearing in a news broadcast or hearing from the news, but actually Timothy was there with Paul on his second missionary trip to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. That's the, the photo I, I put up there, is a map of how close they are. Actually, Timothy lived in Lystra in the beginning when Paul first met him in person. So the thing is, is that all these places are put together for a reason. There's a reason why Paul wants to talk about Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Because those places is where he faced the most persecution. Those places, even though he was beaten, stoned to death, he said he and Barnabas decided to go back again after getting beaten and thrown out of the city. Right? That requires a lot of bravery. Right? You know you just got beat. You know you're not wanted there. People are out hunting you. But he decides and he says, like, I'm going to go back to share the gospel to these people. And one of the people that he reaches is young Timothy. You see, in Lystra, there were no synagogues in the, in the city. It was a very Gentile town. It was full of Roman gods, Greek gods. It was completely pagan, right? There were very few Jews. But out of this one place, you see that there's Timothy. Lo and behold, he's one of the few Jews that are there. His mother and his grandmother were Jewesses. That's what they were called. And they married uh, Gentile men. So actually, Timothy was not circumcised at this time. And Timothy decides as a young man to get circumcised, which is a very painful decision so that he may be able to follow Paul into the missionary field to share the gospel with other Jews, to share the gospel with other Jews. And these things that Paul tells him, they're not just a list of, you know, good things that we can see. Paul specifically lists these things out because they're necessary for us to take responsibility, to take hold of, in order so that we may be able to grow to become mature Christians. We want to become become mature Christians so that we'll be able to share the gospel as well. We'll be able to show the people that are in our lives that Christ has really changed us, right? If we're stuck in our immaturity, you know, like the other people that Paul was not referring to, he tells Timothy that you, however, right, he's comparing them to immature Christians, but also to non-believers that that we heard of last week the people who deny Christ, the people who are arrogant, who want to uh, seek out for blood, the people who uh, cause others suffering. You're not like that, Timothy. And I hope you guys are not like that either. So turn to the next slide, please. I want to uh, talk about you know, these different things that Paul talks about in his, in his uh, little uh, virtue uh, list towards Timothy. He tells him, the three things that I've put up in blue is responsibilities to oneself. Teaching, conduct, and aim in life. All of these things, you know, we can develop within ourselves. But Paul says, like, you have heard from me, 
my teaching. You have heard from me my conduct. You have heard from me my aim in life. All of these things are self-disciplines. They're things that we put into our lives so that when the world comes, uh, <laughs> comes collapsing down on us, we're able to rely on this. We're able to say that, you know, I've been taught. You know, I've been living my life correctly. I've been trained. I have a purpose in my life. I want to push forward and look with this singular focus towards worshiping Christ. All of these things, all these different things, emphasize different parts of our lives. So in the blue, you know, I have the mental, uh, the ideas, or you know, maybe even spiritual ideas. And this type of training, right? It's very interesting. The word conduct that Paul uses is a goge. That's a that's a very rare word that is almost never used in scripture. A goge actually back then was very famous because this is how the Spartans trained. They had a goge, right? It was so that when they were young kids, young men would go out, you know, fight in the wilderness to wrestle together, to be trained in this toughness, right? Paul is kind of saying to Timothy, you've seen my toughness. You've been trained in this toughness. You've been, you know, you've been, you've been trained in our suffering together in our missions trips. You're prepared for this. You have my aim in life. You have my purpose. You know that we're out here to preach the gospel, to share the gospel with people who have not heard it. But not only that, right? It's, it's good to have this head knowledge. It's good to have this understanding of where you're supposed to be going. But how do we relate to other people, right? Paul does, doesn't just talk about all these good training, all the good teaching that he has gained, but also about the faith, patience, and love that Paul has had to show to the sinners throughout the churches that he has been going to. We know that church is not perfect. We know and we understand that there are people that we have disagreements with, that we have issues with at church. Maybe it's also in our families, right? but we have to show them faith, patience, and love. All throughout scripture, Paul has been t- preaching throughout his letters that we need to show love to one another. We need to be patient with one another. Right? This is how we have our responsibilities to others. Right? It's how we show you know, worship to Christ by loving others. Right? We, finally, the last part is steadfastness, persecution, and suffering. This is a responsibility to the calling. Not only just a responsibility to the church, not only a responsibility to others, but when you say that you're a Christian, you have to be prepared to suffer for it. You have to be prepared to tell the truth of what you actually believe of what you actually think, even though it might make you unpopular. Whether that be on the topic of ethics, whether that be on the topic of abortion or gay rights or anything that's controversial at the moment. Right? All the time throughout history, Christianity has been controversial. For them, it was controversial for one man to marry just one woman. Right? Only to have sex with one woman was a controversial thing for them. They would not have believed that, you know, monogamy was a good thing. Most rich people were polyamorous, meaning they had uh, multiple relationships with many women. And you had maybe one wife or in order to have uh, children with, in order so that you can pass down your lineage. But Christianity changed all that. And I think for us, we have to be responsible, you know, also to our friends. When we say that we are Christian, when we choose to believe that we are uh, saved by Christ, when we have faith in him, we have to explain to our friends how we really feel when controversial, controversial topics uh, come at hand. I remember one time I had this friend of mine who was kind of an on and off Christian, right? She would 
sometimes go to church with me. And, you know, I really cared for her. But the only times that she would ever reach out to me was, you know, when she was in a crisis of faith. Right? One time, you know, her grandmother passed away who wasn't a Christian. And so she messaged me, you know, all throughout the night asking me, like, uh, you know, how does heaven work? How does hell work? You know, what does all this mean? Does Jesus Christ really love us? So I had a very, let's say, difficult relationship with her. I wanted to care about her, but I also had to tell the truth. I couldn't just be comforting, like, oh, you know, I believe that everyone goes to heaven and you shouldn't have to worry about it. I was like, no, you know, Christ says that, you know, those that do not believe in him, they do not have a part with him in heaven. One time, I remember, you know, she texted me out of the blue. And it was, when I read that text, my heart completely dropped. You know, I've never felt cold sweat before. But in that text, it read, Derek, is it okay to have an abortion? And at that moment, I could feel, you know, my lungs losing all of his breath. I was worried for her. I was completely worried. I, I immediately stopped everything I was doing. I just started praying for her. I was like, Lord God, I don't know what you're doing in her life. Whatever she is going through, God, I pray that you give me wisdom so that I'd be able to say the right things to her. You know, may I say it in, in truth, may I say it in love, but may I also be honest with how scripture really portrays, you know, the idea of abortion. So, you know, she had, I, I just kind of told her, like, you know, God loves us all. But the people that he really does care for is those that are weak, those that do not have a voice for themselves. That's why I, as a Christian, I believe that those that are unborn, those that do not have a voice, those that are unwanted by the rest of the world, they deserve a chance to live. It would be a sin to snuff them out, right? Understanding Christian ethics, understanding how Christ loves the weak, we also come to understand that Christ loves the unborn, but also that Christ loves you. Right? If you are going through anything right now, I offered myself, right? It would be hypocritical just to say all these nice things. But I said, like, if you need any help, you know, monetarily, or if you need anybody to help you uh, find resources or a place where you can um, figure all this out, you know, I know a bunch of great churches that can help you. And after I sent that message, I just kept praying. I just kept worrying. And I just, you know, looked at my phone every couple of hours just to see if she replied and I was worried. And then finally she replied and she said, oh, thanks. And oh, it's not for me. It was just for a class project. I was like, why? <laughs> why would you put me through all of that? And, you know, just out of the blue, is it okay to have an abortion? I'm like, I thought you were getting an abortion. And she's like, oh, no, it was just for my law class. And I was like, oh, ne- never do that. You know, never do that to Pastor Kevin or to me or to your parents. Like, just never shoot them that message, right? Never shoot them that message at all. Terrible. I, it gave me a heart attack, but I was so relieved. I was like, oh, thank God, right? Thank God, like, this, you know, the tragedy didn't happen. I didn't have to go through all this conflict. But, you know, I had to remember, you know, even if this was just, you know, a practice, even if this was just, you know, not really happening in my life, I had to be uh, completely committed to the Christian faith. I had to be completely committed uh, to my responsibilities to myself, my responsibilities to other people, and my responsibilities to my calling. Also that all these things are there to worship Christ, to proclaim the truth. Right? So that's what Paul is telling you know, Timothy. You've learned all these things. 
You have been with me. You've suffered with me. You have learned to love others, right? Take all these things and put them into your life. Continue doing these things. And we'll continue to see that, you know, when we are called to be Christians, we continue to be persecuted. People will disagree with us. And what are these people like? So next slide, please. In verse 13 through 15, Paul writes that while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So this is really interesting, right? Paul puts up a mirror, kind of a reflection, a foil to Timothy, right? You have done all these things. You have suffered with me, but there are the evil people and the imposters on the other side, right? Who are these deceivers and who are these imposters? You know, how do we get, you know, wisdom from truth if there are so many of these imposters or if there are so many of these people who want to do us wrong, right? What is important here in these verses that I want to emphasize is the people that Paul talks about. Not necessarily, yeah, he does talk about the sacred writing. He does talk about learning and understanding and book studying. But he says, like, look and understand, you know, how you've been acquainted with these people, knowing from whom you have learned it. He's talking about this personal authority, right? Your parents have a personal authority over you. You love your parents, right? Hopefully you all listen to your parents. When we're children, we're taught to listen to our parents. They're our leaders. They're the people who are the heads of the household. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we want our parents to become you know, the head of America. Right? They might not have the, the capabilities of doing that. But still, they're in charge. Why? Because they love us. We understand that because our parents have loved us, because they have suffered for us, we can see throughout their life that we can listen to them that we can see that we can be able to understand how much they actually care for us. And that's kind of the difference that Paul is trying to hint at. So the next slide, please. So he, who are these deceivers and imposters? You know, I don't believe that they're necessi- Paul is necessarily talking about people within the church. Maybe they're outside of the church pretending to be another church. They're most likely non-believers or pagan spiritualists. And because they're referenced again in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, as the people who are having the apparent, uh, appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Right? They have this appearance of spirituality. They have this appearance of you know, maybe being Christian, but they're denying the Christian faith. They're denying the power of actual transformation. So somebody comparable in modern times would be, you know, they're saying something that's partially true. Right? They're saying something that you, we somewhat agree with, but they're denying Christ. Right? Maybe a pastor who says that, you know, oh, you know, Christianity is really great for teaching and learning, but Christianity is just part of a myth, right? part of the Western myth. It's not something that's actually true. Right? They have this appearance of godliness. They might call themselves Christian, but they're not necessarily completely holding themselves to all the truths. Right? These people, they go from bad to worse. Right? They'll continue to doing what they're doing. And the reason why is because they need to latch on to something in order to corrupt it. They need to latch on to something in order to corrupt it. They're kind of like a parasite. They're going into 
these places. They're going into these places. They're seeing whatever good is done, and they're saying, like, how can I be a part of this? But instead of submitting themselves to it, they want all the control and power for themselves. They want all the control and the power for themselves. You know, it's like the type of people that you, we see a lot in, in school where people suck up to the teacher or where you know, they want to join the cool group so that they'll be able to be considered cool themselves. Not necessarily terrible to that point, but in the Christian faith, right, these types of people, they will arise and they will continue going on doing these things. The issue with it is that they might seem convincing at first. Paul tells us that you know, we shouldn't be listening to them, to ignore them. Whatever slanderous or unpleasant things, you will not know them necessarily by their words, but you will know them because of their works. What they have done for you personally, what have they done for the church? You know, are they good people? Are their actions good? Not just their words. You have to make sure that they're doing righteous acts. And that is what Paul tells uh, Timothy So for him to look at Paul himself, but also towards his family. Right? Paul tells Timothy that you look up to your parents. You know, you know what your mother and your grandmother has done for you throughout your whole entire life. How much they have loved and cared for you. How much they've shown the truth to you, not just through facts, but through a person. I think the emphasis that I wanted to put was on this really interesting word that I've almost never seen in scripture. It's that word childhood, right? The Greeks and the Romans, they didn't understand childhood as we understood childhood. Some might even say they didn't believe during this time that there was a thing called childhood. The Greek word specifically for this is a newborn baby or maybe even a a fetus in the womb, right? While you were still in the womb, you were being taught the scriptures, the sacred writings. Like, how can, how can a, a fetus or how can a baby understand words? How can they be taught sacred writings? They don't understand, you know, Latin. They don't understand Greek. They don't understand Hebrew yet. They don't have these conceptual knowledge yet. But what Paul is trying to say is that they understood it because their parents were reading scripture. And whatever their parents were doing, they understood it through their actions of love. They understood it through their actions of love. Knowing the truth is not just knowing a fact. It's not just like understanding how the stages of metamorphosis. It's not just understanding you know, different quadratic, you know, the quadratic formula. It is like knowing a person. Right? You have a relationship with the truth. You have a relationship with your parents. You don't just know your parents' name. You don't just know like, their birthday. You don't just know like, that they exist. But you know them personally. Likewise, with our relationship to scripture. Likewise, with our relationship to the truth. We seek the truth in this way. We seek it not just as facts so that we may be able to be like the deceivers, able to build up all of these uh, facts so that we can throw them at other people so that we may be able to control them. No, we come to see uh, the truth and we come to worship it. We come to submit to it. We understand that it's there to change our lives. Right? The scripture as which makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus by making known the love of God for us as our Father. Ultimately, what Paul is going to reach at is going to say that these scriptures, because they're living, because they're alive, because we have a relationship to the truth, it makes us wise, right? It doesn't just give us wisdom 
in the sense that they're wise sayings, but it actually transforms us so that we're able to see the love of God, so that we're able to have faith in Christ Jesus. That is the power of the word. Next slide, please. And Paul tells us that in order to be a mature Christian, we must be shaped by the scriptures. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? When we say that scripture is breathed out by God, we mean that scripture is alive. Scripture is alive. It's not something that's dead. It's not something like your textbooks where you read it, you understand it, you can put it away you know, forever. It's not like that. We have a relationship with it. We continue to read it. We continue to go back to it. Every time we go back to it, we get to understand God in a deeper and more personal way. Like that's kind of what breath is. When someone breathes into your ear, when someone breathes close to you, it's very personal. It's very intimate. It's something that shows that you know, God, when he breathes out scripture, it's his stamp of approval. He's saying that I own this. All of these words are created by me. It resonates with our own creation. In, in Genesis, it says that you know, God breathed into our nostrils, and that is what gave us life. Scripture is life-giving. Scripture is life-giving. That's what it means that it is breathed out. Next slide, please. We're going to be talking about you know, all the things that Scripture does for us. Teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Right? All throughout Scripture, these things, they're not just, you know, stories that will help us, you know, have some entertainment, right? They're not like Marvel movies. They're not like Disney movies. I guess they're not like Star Wars. Even those movies, they have a moral implication to them. But it's more than that, right? It's here directly to teach us how to live our lives. But not only that, but to correct us. When we have done something wrong, there are many scriptures all throughout that tell us, you've done something incorrectly, you need to come back the fold. Reproof and correction, but also for training. In order to become a mature Christian, we need to understand where we are going. We need to understand how is it that scripture trains us and teaches us so that, right, sometimes we get so focused on studying or teaching or making sure that we're correct, double-checking all our dots, that we forget that Paul writes that so that we may be completely equipped for every good work. All this teaching, what I'm doing right now, this sermon right now, all the things that you've learned in Sunday school, all the things that you've been understanding ever since, you know, some of you, like ever since you were born, what your parents have been teaching you, what your pastors have been teaching you, you know, what other Christians have been teaching you, all of this, what scripture has been teaching you, was for the purpose that you may be prepared to do every good work, to share the gospel, to love others be patient with others, to transform your own life, to transform the life of others through the power of Christ Jesus. By understanding all these things, by having faith that Christ has given you grace through his sacrifice on the cross, we are made to be prepared. It's for a purpose, right? It's not just all willy-nilly. We come here to church to listen to me or Kevin or uh, Aaron speak so that you may be able to say that, oh, I got it on my checklist. I'm done. It's never done. It's never complete. We always need to be taught and reproved and corrected and trained 
so that we may be able to be ready when the time comes, when your friend asks you, you know, a very sensitive question, a very controversial question, or when your friends, or when you yourself are going through a crisis of faith, right? If you have held true, if you held the scriptures in your arms, if you've read it, you understand that Christ loves us, that Christ dies for us in order to give this to us, then the Spirit of God will be with you to comfort you. The Spirit of truth will be there and give you understanding and wisdom during your crisis, in your time of darkness. There are people all around us that you know, do not have this. And we pray and we continue to work so that they may be able to have it. Not so that we can become more powerful, not so that we can have a bigger voters block or that you know, we'll have more influence in American politics or anything or we'll have more friends, but more so because this is the truth. And the truth must be spread. It must propagate. It must be loved and understood. Right? So right, all these things, Scripture has a purpose. If you're just reading Scripture just to you know, continue reading it or just that's a good thing, right? reading Scripture is a good thing, but never forget the purpose of why we do it, of why we are trained, why we put all this effort into training you all so that when you go out into the world or when you are here today, you are prepared to answer your calling. You are prepared to share the gospel, prepared to live out a good life, to bear suffering, to bear persecution. Right? This is the training. This is being equipped. Finally, the big idea. So, the next slide. Mature Christians take responsibility. They seek the truth and are transformed by the word so that they may go out to do good works for the sake of others, also for the sake of Christ. Right? So we do all these things. We prepare our hearts because we know that the road ahead of us is extremely dark. We need to follow the right path. We need to follow the right path. All the time, wherever we go, if we do not understand where the good is, we do not understand how to communicate with other people. We do not understand how to love others and how to love Christ and how to follow him, then we will be lost. No matter how strong or spiritual or under, uh, how smart you are, if you try to go out on your own without scripture, without the, without the church, all alone by yourself, it will be very soon when you know, other par- predators or parasites, spiritual predators and parasites will be coming to attack you. Right? So we want to understand that the love of the church, the love that Christ gives to us, is not there just to be held onto, but is to be shared, to be gifted to others, is there to multiply. Right? So some application points for us today. Uh, next slide, please. Now consider how far you are in your Christian walk. Right? Do you need to bear more responsibility? Right? Bear more responsibility to yourself. In learning, in teaching, in understanding, maybe you need to find a mentor, someone like Paul, who, who, someone like Paul to who was to Timothy. Right? Maybe someone needs to be your Paul. It could be me, Pastor Kevin, or other you know, older Christians who are more mature than you are. We would all love to you know, train you. We would all love to train you up to become fully equipped to do good works. Right? Maybe you need to take more responsibilities uh, to other people. You need to love the church more. You need to love your family more. You need to be more patient with other people. Right? And, or maybe we need to you know, 
be ready for persecution. Maybe when your friends talk about a controversial topic, you just want to avoid it. Or maybe when there's conflict within your fan group or your family, you just want to shut things down and you don't want to talk about it. Instead, use those opportunities, share what is good, share what you really believe, and be honest about who Christ is. Right? We have to seek the truth daily in order to become mature Christians. We have to read the scriptures to increase our faith. Right? Reading the scriptures to increase our faith comes with a purpose. Reading scriptures by themselves is not enough. We have to do it with an understanding of why we are here. Right? When you understand that the destination I need to go to is doing good works for other people, doing good works in the name of Christ, loving Christ more, then we are ready to read the scriptures. Right? We have to prepare our hearts. We have to get rid of everything that was already packed in there, all of our distractions, all the things that we love, all the things that you know, might stop us from understanding you know, the word of God. You know, the breath of God. To be shaped by scripture daily, you know, if we are not like this, then we cannot be complete Christians without it. We're not, if we're, we call ourselves Christians, but we don't read the Bible, but we don't really like listening to sermons, and we don't like enjoying uh, Bible teaching, then there's something wrong within our hearts. There might be a distance that might be emotional. There might be a distance that's spiritual. Please pray for that. Finally, I want us to actively love others. You know, pray for opportunities uh, to share the gospel with other people. Pray for opportunities to love others. Right? Not every time, you know, in our society, not every time do people need help. But we should be praying so that, you know, hey, you know, if there is ever someone that needs help, I pray that I'm there to, to help them. I pray that I'm there to love them, just as Christ has loved me. So uh, let me close this in prayer. Thank you all. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time that we're able to meet together, to gather together, to read your word. I pray that we continue to love you more so that we're able to read your scriptures and to grow to become people who are capable of sharing the gospel with our friends, with our family, with strangers. I thank you, Lord. Motivate us and push us forward into the world. I thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.